Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Hi, my name is April Nellis, and I'm a PhD student in the Department of Mathematics. I'm in the Applied and Interdisciplinary Mathematics program. So speaking generally, my research focuses on stochastic optimization and control. Um, and basically by that, we mean modeling and optimizing controls for systems and processes that contain some inherent uncertainty or some kind of randomness in the process. So we're trying to control for that kind of additional aspect of uncertainty in addition to just the process itself. So the main kind of, uh, kind of like the overarching idea of our model is that we want to capture how best to resolve the tension between wanting a high level of lockdown to slow the spread of COVID-19 and then wanting maybe a lower level of lockdown to maintain economic activity. So that the goal of our model is to determine the optimal lockdown levels that can kind of balance these two goals. So we use the classical susceptible infected removed and removed um, includes both people who recover and people who die due to an illness. It's called the SIR contagion dynamics. So this is a pretty classic um, contagion dynamics modeling system. And we use this in conjunction with a cost function that represents the macroeconomic costs of a specific lockdown strategy to uh, solve this problem. So the contagion dynamics mathematically represent the spread of the virus. And the cost function includes various factors like the cost of deaths and the cost of lost income due to furloughed or fired workers and you know uses all of these to produce a number like it gives a actual value to the results of the lockdown strategy. So we look at two populations. So one is the population age 20 to 64 years old and then the other population is those 65 years and over. And the reason we separate the kind of working age population into these two groups is because of the very distinct effects of age on the COVID response in people's bodies. So we call the 20 to 64 year old group the low risk group and the 65 and up group the high risk group. Of course, these groups are not uniformly low risk or uniformly high risk, but um, this is kind of just a slight simplification we make to make modeling a little easier. And we um, assume that those in the low risk group are working while those in the high risk group are retired. So this is kind of the basic setup. And then going a little bit more into the model itself, our model builds off some previous papers on this subject by Ajamolu et al. and Alvarez et al. Um, so these are some previous papers and we're adding some more things. So our model considers both um, a stochastic vaccine arrival time and also the possibility of reaching herd immunity before a vaccine is produced as the potential end times for the pandemic. So either, either a vaccine arrives and enough people get vaccinated that the spread of the virus is kind of mitigated or there's a second possibility which we introduce, which is that just this virus spreads enough among the population that some kind of herd immunity is attained and the spread can be slightly controlled in that manner as well. We also slightly alter the SIR dynamics. So we incorporate the effects of a lockdown, um, which reduces person-to-person -person contact 
so that would also affect disease transmission naturally. And we also incorporate this idea of a behavior dependent transmission rate, which was proposed by Cochrane in um, a presentation in a blog post. So this behavior trans dependent transmission rate basically means that if people in an area know that a large number of people around them tested positive for COVID-19, they're more likely to take personal precautions like wearing a mask and maintaining a distance of more than six feet from other people, uh, regardless of the actual level of lockdown imposed on their community. So some of the increased transmission caused by high infection numbers in an area can be mitigated by these personal precautions. That's kind of the brief rundown of our model. And then we take this model and we try to determine what the best lockdown level is for each specific level of infected, susceptible, and removed members of the population. And by um, numerically calculating these um, results, we can get an optimal lockdown strategy. So one of the impacts that we studied is this, um, the effects of changing this behavior dependent transmission rate. So that's um, certainly one thing that we looked at quite a bit and that it did turn out to have a pretty interesting effect on our um, results. But we also looked at a lot of different parameters that went into the cost function. So this cost function, we tried to include a bunch of different elements. So not only the costs of people's deaths due to COVID itself, but also we branched out, we included um, terms that incorporate costs due to deaths that might be because of mental illness in isolation or because of um, reduced access to kind of um, like physical health maintenance. So um, for people with uh, long-term illnesses that need um, frequent checkups, some of these might have been canceled um, in the, during the lockdown. So things like this, um, we try to capture these in our cost function. And we also try to capture things like, in addition to the current lost income due to people being maybe laid off or furloughed, we also incorporate the costs of prolonged unemployment after the end of the lockdown due to economic slumps that may come about during the lockdown that would extend further on. We also include kind of a small penalty term that would uh, be triggered if ICU capacities are exceeded. So this kind of accounts for the costs of having to build like makeshift hospitals or um, emergency hospitals and extend beds and reconfigure medical facilities and things like that. And we also do take into account the fact that many people can work remotely. So that's um, kind of a way to relieve some of the effects of the negative effects of the lockdown. So these all kind of go into the impacts that we look at. So we used kind of a sliding scale for our lockdown levels instead of looking at some discrete set of lockdown situations. So we just have a variable and um, if this variable set to zero, this means no lockdown, kind of business as usual. And then one would be absolutely no one is leaving their homes, everything is shut down, we're all like full lockdown. So one is pretty unattainable um, because there's many essential workers who still have to go out and do their jobs. So based on the calculations by Alvarez et al, we set the maximum lockdown level for the working population to be 0.7 instead. So we're looking at lockdown levels between 0 and 0.7, and this kind of just excludes the sectors of the workforce which are occupied by essential workers. Uh, however, the high-risk population, since we assume many of these people are retired, we allow the maximum lockdown level for this group to remain at 1. Our main findings were firstly that 
assuming that we can obtain some kind of immunity by contracting and then recovering from COVID-19, it seems pretty likely that the population may reach herd immunity before the arrival of the vaccine. Of course, the arrival of the vaccine um, is certainly not fixed, and that is part of the stochastic nature of our model, but estimates seem to place it at at least October, if not into 2021. So based on our um, model, it seems that it's pretty likely that herd immunity may arrive before the vaccine. And this isn't to say that the vaccine uh, isn't useful. Uh, immunity fades over time, so we'll need the vaccine to maintain this level of immunity, but uh, it might be helpful to control like initial stages of controlling the pandemic if we reach herd immunity. So that's kind of a encouraging result. Additionally, the models that I previously referenced didn't explicitly include terms for herd immunity, which led to lockdown recommendations for the high-risk group that extended until the arrival of a vaccine, even if the infection dynamics showed that the spread of the infection had already been contained. By directly considering herd immunity as one of the criterion for ending lockdowns, we found that the optimal lockdown level and intensity can potentially be lowered for the high-risk group without leading to large increases in mortality. And then the second kind of main result that we found was that changing this behavior dependent transmission rate definitely had a positive effect on the outcomes of the pandemic. So if people have a stronger precautionary response, so they take um, stronger measures to prevent transmission between them when infection levels are high in a community, uh, you can have a lower actual lockdown level but the death rates won't particularly be negatively impacted by this. So it kind of goes to show that individual behaviors in conjunction with higher level directives can definitely have a positive impact on the overall virus dynamics. Our code is available online and we hope that public health officials in a certain area could put in the parameters that correspond to their specific COVID situation and their specific workforce makeup and demographics, et cetera, and can see what the model recommends as the optimal lockdown strategy. So this is kind of gives an idea of the relative severity of the lockdown that might be recommended at a specific point. And then they can work with other public health officials and work with epidemiologists to determine what actual measures would align with like a lockdown level of 0.4, right? So 0.4 is just a number, but this, you can kind of interpret it as maybe 40% of the economy is still kind of controlled or shuttered in some way. And then 60% is operating as usual. So just as like a very simple example, I guess you might think that like, oh, well, like maybe movie theaters should remain closed, but we can have like some stores open or something like this. So. You use the lockdown numbers that the model gives you and you can kind of decide like what measures would correspond to that. I think it's kind of useful for the general public to be able to see how different behaviors and different just changing different parameters, not necessarily individual behaviors, but anything can directly affect the trajectory of the pandemic. So it's, I think, interesting to see how changing certain things, so adjusting lockdown levels, adjusting how many people can work remotely, all these things can benefit both our economy and benefit our like general public health situation. I hope that people can take away a couple of things from our research. A lot of our research was dedicated to investigating how changes in model parameters affected the model outputs, and we found that the model was quite sensitive to changes in many of these parameters. 
This demonstrates the importance of using accurate data and calibrating the model correctly when applying it to a specific public health situation. And it also highlights a challenge associated with modeling COVID-19 since it's such a new development. However, understanding of the virus is now constantly improving and evolving, and so are model predictions. Additionally, in our model, the parameter associated with individual actions did indeed affect the spread of the disease, and higher values of this parameter improved outcomes overall. Lower viral transmission rates are always going to be beneficial in a pandemic, so wearing masks and social distancing is definitely going to play a role in controlling the virus. Explicitly, including herd immunity in the model also impacted the recommended lockdown levels, so it's also important to consider this factor regardless of whether the vaccine will arrive first or herd immunity will arrive first in actuality. Overall, there are a lot of insights that can be gained from using these mathematical tools to model the spread of COVID-19 and the effects of the pandemic, as well as using these tools to investigate things like optimal lockdown strategies. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.